0: Is it possible to have access to the highest quality healthcare whenever your family needs it? Count on it. Count on Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan to give you access to the care you need with the largest network of top doctors and hospitals. Because when you find the doctor that's right for you, you should be able to choose her. Access and choice. It's healthcare coverage that works the way you want it to. Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. Confidence comes with every card.
1: The torch has been passed to a new generation of Americans. He battled the talking heads and cynics in Washington to save GM and Chrysler. The only
2: thing we have to fear is fear itself.
1: He battled the Great Recession to save Michigan's capital city from bankruptcy. To
3: this
4: big, bold country that we love, that's what I see. That's the America I know.
2: Now he's on a mission to save the America that brought his father from Italy and millions
1: of immigrants to build the greatest nation in the world. And I do believe that the office of citizen is the highest office in this country.
2: Here he is, America, Verge Bernero.
1: Well, good afternoon and welcome to The Verge Show and happy two twenty twenty twenty. 2020 That's right, two twenty twenty twenty. 2020 Kevin. Kevin Collard in the studio with me for another edition. We have a great show, a great lineup for you today. We're going to talk to veteran award-winning Michigan journalist Jack Lessenberry uh, on all things political. You just never know when Jack and I get going what we might talk about, but undoubtedly there'll be some politics and some Trump talk and some debate talk. Uh, We're going to be talking to Christine Paul Pelosi, uh, a veteran American democratic political strategist from California, would you believe it? Uh, she happens to be former prosecutor, a lot of experience, uh, author of uh, a book, a Campaign uh, Boot Camp, and has run boot camps uh, for Democratic candidates uh, all across California and maybe across the country. Uh, happens to be the daughter of uh, the current Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. We'll be talking about the Democratic debate, who won, who lost, who's up, who's down who's doing a victory lap. And speaking of victory laps, uh I have a feeling that our last guest Amir Zair uh may be doing a victory lap. He is uh, a Michigan uh, spokesperson for uh Bernie Sanders for the Bernie Sanders campaign out of Detroit. Uh Palestinian American comedian, writer, filmmaker, adjunct professor at University of Detroit Mercy School of Law. Yeah, so we'll talk to Amir at the uh, Amir near the end of the show. Um, but uh we have Jack standing by. Um, Jack, we're we're in the middle of, I guess, the Trump's uh, presidential pardon palooza. Uh, I I thought, Jack, are you there? Hello. How you doing? Hello. Are you there, Jack? It's Verge Bernero. Hello. Hmm. I can hear him. I can I can barely hear you. Let's see if I get closer to the mic. Can you hear me now? You
4: want to hang up and call me back?
1: Sure. Let's give it a shot.
4: Why should I try that?
1: So we're going to be talking uh, with. We're going to be talking with Jack Lessenberry, veteran Michigan newsman, uh, journalist, about Trump's pardon, presidential pardon palooza and probably the debate as well. Um, I think that Trump is really defining deviancy down. Um, He's been on this pardon palooza, this party, uh, pardoning a whole lot of folks, um, mostly, of course, uh, who don't deserve it. Um, I'm not sure anybody uh, does, but... uh, Trying to get people ready for the idea, trying to show his power, that the president has this power of pardon, uh, that he's not afraid to use it. Because, as you know, uh, I've been predicting for a long time that after the Senate um, so-called vindication, after the Senate failure uh, to prosecute, uh, Jack, are you back with us? Jack Lesenberry, uh, veteran Michigan journalist. Hello, Jack.
4: Yes, I can hear you.
1: Great. we, we, We hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you very well. Can you hear me? Okay, I can hear you. Okay, wonderful. Well, welcome back to The Verge Show. Thanks for being with us, Jack.
4: Always a pleasure to be here. Uh,
1: so we're we're talking about Trump's pardon palooza, and uh, also this...
4: No, this. No, I can't hear you again. I,
1: it must be something in your line. Hmm. Well, obviously there is something. Hello? There. Hello, I'm here. Uh, are you there? Hello?
4: I hear about one out of every 20 words you're saying.
1: I just hear a word and a
4: long pause.
1: Okay. Well, I know our technicians so are... Wait,
4: should uh, I dial... Let, give me a number. I'll call in. Maybe that'll work better.
1: I'll have them work on that. So, yep. so uh, I think, Kevin, that uh, President Trump is defining deviancy down, uh, creating enough noise in the pardon space, clearing the way for uh, what I've predicted for a long time, uh, which is that he's going to pardon uh, uh, Stone, of course, uh, who's twisting out there right now. In fact, uh, I thought we were going to maybe have Stone's uh, adjudication. Uh, we were going to have some news on Stone's um, uh, sentence yet today, but that hasn't happened. But uh, it's eminent. And I think uh, so I think that uh, one of Trump's techniques is to create a lot of noise around an issue, in part to confuse people. Um, but also again defining deviancy down, so uh, people getting used to these pardons. Uh, yeah,
2: you've said for months you, you thought he was going to go ahead and. I go thought after part Manafort
1: of his and... I thought part of his victory lap after the Senate acquitted is that he would then, uh, while he felt he had the leverage and the advantage, um, pardon Stone Manafort and Flynn. I think that Stone Manafort and Flynn, um, in in Trump's world, in a Trumpian view need to be pardoned, uh, not so much from a loyalty uh, standpoint, not because he feels their pain, and, and he might. You know, he might actually care about them. They've been there for him. They're his loyal foot soldiers. Um, oh, and also a lot of folks believe, and I do, that he'll pardon Giuliani too, preemptively. Um, but, but I think it's important to his 2020 effort because I think he's got to send the message to uh, supporters for 2020 that uh, that he's got their back, mm-hmm. and it's more than just words. He's actually proven it. He's 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 taken the tough the tough call. He's uh you know he's made the tough uh, de- decisive action of pardoning them. So that uh, Is it And I think it goes along with the strategy the of going deep instead of wide, deep into it. his membership. Uh, the people that Hell love not. Trump love them, Count on uh, they're Blue with them through Shield the end, of Michigan to give you uh, when he said to he could shoot somebody on 5th Avenue and they would still, the be, still be with them. Top doctors um, hospitals. You know, he said that because for a reason, find and a, a lot right of, right lot right of, right of right. his folks seem to be, be loyal to, to her. the end. His uh, lawyers in choice. court, you know, are essentially arguing that he could shoot somebody. He can't be as president. He can't be tried. He can't be charged with the crime until he's no longer president. So they're saying any local prosecutor could not go after him. Um, it's very interesting, it's a novel argument that they they are arguing in court that the president is above the law and so the pardons sort of go along with that, the pardons really send the message to the average Joe and Jane out there that you need to go out there and do what it takes uh, and do what it takes do what is necessary to win in 2020 legal or otherwise and the president has your back the president will issue these pardons and you and I know that those presidential pardons apply only to federal crimes. Mm -hmm. But I'm not even sure that the average Joe and Jane six pack, you know, are aware. It seems like an almighty power, you know, that this, this power, this pardon. And so I'm not sure that they're going to be mincing those fine, those legal points and getting into the weeds. The average person understands that, wow, the president can pardon people uh, and, and you get out of jail. Uh, So, it's, a, it's an awesome power and one that uh, he's willing to throw around. And so I believe that there will and be more. And he's got a long
2: way to go. I mean, uh, Obama, pardon, 1,900 people. And I think that he's at 22 right now. Yeah. So, so he's, but, he's still wading through all these various requests of folks that want to see their cases looked at, of twice. course,
1: and every president faces, including that. Kwame Kilpatrick. The of mayor course, here and Detroit. I and I believe Kwame will be pardoned, but but those cases, I would just say the difference is generally speaking. I mean, I don't think uh, President Obama pardoned anybody that was charged with a crime related to the president. Well, the big difference here it's not volume, Kevin. Nobody would argue the volume. I, I frankly, the volume is neither here nor there to me. Uh, that's. The issue is who is he pardoning and and when he pardons these people uh, like Stone who's implicated directly you know in helping to secure you foreign, don't think
2: there's a political motivation behind a pardon no matter who you pardon you don't see it as a way I think to it's gain a political
1: votes. it's a political move it's and there can be political motivation. I'm just stating a fact that President Obama didn't pardon people that were charged with crimes related to him
2: mm-hmm.
0: Okay,
1: there there weren't any, right? There's always politics. I don't think there were. There's always politics. It's by nature. It's a political position we're talking about. It's a political move. Uh, But uh, again, here, most in terms of the rule of law, you know, you don't want a president and you don't want pressure on the attorney general. I mean, obviously, there's been a lot in the press where the president's pressured the attorney general in, for example, the Stone case and in other things that the attorney general is doing, that Barr is doing. Uh, where it looks like he's taking marching orders directly from the president. As we know, Jeff Sessions famously, you know, seemed to resist direct pressure from President Trump, you know, to do things that the president wanted. And, And that was a big, big issue, a big bone of contention, right? I mean, the president was constantly... Pounding on Sessions and talking about, you know, what an idiot Sessions was and how he wished that Sessions would, would, you know, do this or that with regard to Comey, you know, fire Comey, do this, do that. And Sessions would not do it. Sessions, as much as I might disagree with him politically, Sessions had a vision. He had a view of the attorney general's office being...
2: Administering justice in an independent way. I, I don't. I think everybody has to have that perspective. I That's hope. what I don't understand about this. Is well, why but, Donald Trump would think he has the right to have the authority over? Well, you've Bill hit Barr. on
1: something. I mean, he sees it differently. I think Jack Lesenberry is with us now. Maybe, maybe he can hear us, and we can hear him. Jack, are you there? I am here in the flesh. Now, the real question: Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, wonderful. We hear you. You hear us. Uh, I'm I'm getting ready to break into the old Barney song. You know we love no longer being silenced. (laughs) Uh, Welcome back and thank you for joining us, Uh, award-winning journalist Jack Lesenberry back on the Verge Show. Uh, We've been talking about uh, justice, the Department of Justice, um, William Barr, and the president's attempt to essentially you know take control of the Justice Department and and uh, really kind of dictate what they do. Um, I'm sure you've been following that. Jack right. a little bit. Um, so uh, I wondered if you caught, Jack, before we get into the other political stuff, if you caught Jack Holmes' article in Esquire uh, of yesterday, the headline is, all together now, William Barr is not having some ethical crisis about Trump's Justice Department interference. and uh, I haven't read it, but I've heard about it. So he's basically saying, come on, you know, don't buy this is this is this strange credulity to think that that William Barr now right. suddenly is allergic to presidential interference in the Justice Department. So what say you, Jack, is should we buy uh, uh, Barr's crocodile tears uh, no, and, and there's, there's somber there. warnings that the president there's, should stop trying to push him around and trap trying try, to stop trying to influence unduly influence Justice Department decisions?
4: Well, everything we know indicates that that Barr is sort of uh, Trump's creature, although there's a scene in the West Wing Bridge where there's some kind of event, something like this, and uh, they, they ask a somebody why they're behaving a certain way, and he says, "Well, because the guy in my position is always the one who does ten years in the minimum security prison. So Barr is trying to some to cover himself and to make it look like he's uh, he's independent but uh, and to some extent genuinely it may be true that some of these tweets are making it harder. They're certainly making it harder for him to appear as if he was, he was doing these things of his own volition. But uh, I don't think anybody's very impressed or anybody's very fooled.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty thin veneer, right? I mean, here, from a guy who essentially auditioned for the job by slamming the hell out of the Mueller uh, investigation right. and basically signaling that he would be a willing lapdog to Trump, and now well, there's
4: that there's also there's also he's sort of on record as saying anyway that he thinks uh, a president's above the law
1: yes thank you yes he he is and in part in answer to your question Kevin we were talking uh yeah Barr is an avowed uh what would you I don't know if you'd say uh, an uh, imper, uh, imper, of the he's a supporter of the imperial presidency he has a very uh muscular view uh, of presidential authority right uh, very robust, uh, more than most, where where this notion that the Justice Department, and, and Jack, the Justice Department is arguing right now in court that the president, to, to try to get around various things that he's being sued for and, and challenged for criminally, that, that, hey, you can't touch the president as long as he's the president. You can't. He cannot be charged with the crime. In other words, he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue, on, on Madison Avenue, and, and and not. You couldn't touch him as long as he was in the White House, and he never. I feel well, very
4: House. old because we went through this with Richard Nixon, and we concluded at the time everybody thought they concluded at the time. It was shown decisively that a president is not above the law. But uh, apparently, Donald Trump and Wayne Barr aren't up on their Watergate books.
1: Because Nixon said, if the president does it, it's not against the law. He basically exactly. asserted that. Exactly, and and yet but, and yet the founders in in writing the Constitution, the one thing that they all agreed on, whether Federalist or Anti Federalist or states writers, one thing they all agreed on was that we aren't going to have a king. We're not going to call him Your Majesty. He's going right. to be called Mister President.
4: We have an elected monarch.
1: And right, and he's going to be. He will not be above the law, which is why impeachment was put in there. Yep, uh, it's it's pretty incredible uh, what's going on, and so. Uh, I think Jack currently that he's essentially trying to define deviancy down. I think that's why he's doing this wave of pardons, this pardon palooza. I thought I came up with pardon palooza, and then I Googled it, and the Washington Post came up. They already used it. Darn it all!
4: Well, just two two great minds having the same idea. <laughs> <thanks. laughs>
1: well, it does happen. Uh, but but uh, so so I mean, is it beyond belief that you know Trump fully intends to pardon his buddies? Uh, uh, Stone, Manafort, Flynn, and that to create the, you know, to lay the groundwork for that, to sort of grease the skids and to, you know, to to muck up the waters. He wants to kick up enough mud so that you don't really see. And and, and so that it gets people used to the idea of talking about, oh, pardon this one, pardon this one. Maybe he deserved it. Maybe Kwame will get pardoned. Maybe he got too many years. Uh, And then next thing you know, he pardons his good buddies who were implicated in crimes very closely related to Donald Trump himself.
4: Well, it's not a case of defining decency down. It's the case of asserting a president can do whatever he wants to do, and he doesn't care. He's like a little kid. They tell him he can't do something, and so he does it, as it was bar in the tweets. And with these pardons, interestingly, he only commuted Blagojevich's sentence. He pardoned everybody else. Uh, but sure, I don't know. I think that he'll do whatever he thinks he can get away with. Now, the question of pardoning Pete Caramanos in sort of a kind of a ham-handed way is trying to make himself a player in national politics that you pardon Kwame Kilpatrick. Well, I think that I would be sort of surprised at that if Trump listens to anybody else because I think that that's more likely to enrage his base than it is to get him any major black support but we'll just have to see.
1: It's funny what you what you said at the beginning of that, Jack. Uh, I'm reading the, um, uh, the this uh, great journalists uh, book about uh, called American Oligarchs uh, right. uh, the, which is the gal who does Trump Inc. Uh, they run a website, Trump Inc., and she's done extensive research on the Kushners and the Trumps. Uh, and in, in, uh, I'm just finishing, I'm nearing the end of the book, and she just said something that echoed what you said, um, which was, uh, or vice versa, which was that uh, authoritarian leaders will uh, sometimes do things and, and make statements, uh, not because they're true, uh, not because they're trying to convey any message other than strength, Basically, I I, just every and I and I really see that as a consistent theme of Trump, that that the way he talks, one of the reasons uh, that he does it when he he doesn't really do interviews where he's answering to people. And even that interview he did with Stephanopoulos did. I don't know if you saw that, if you remember that, but Stephanopoulos was standing at the presidential desk and he was and Trump was seated. And it was just the whole dynamics of it. It, it, Everything Trump does, he likes to show this message of strength. And part of it, the pardon definitely is a part of that, to say, basically, I think he suffered enough. You know, this guy Blagojevich, his wife, he starts talking about his wife came to me, you know, to show he's, gosh, he's a sympathetic soul. I mean, he came, she came to him as he sat on his throne and he thought. Yeah, maybe Actually, I should dispense on, some. He was, a he, Fox, I, he was on his
4: throne and he saw her on Fox is what happened. Pardon? he was on his throne and he saw her on Fox T V.
1: Yeah, so. Um so did you watch any of the debate last night, Jack? Yes, I watched it all. I watched it all. It, it was I thought probably the most riveting of the debates. I it, thought it, it was it was the most exciting. You 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 tell me. I mean I, I was afraid to leave the room. I wanted to go get a snack and I was afraid I would miss something. I'm not, I'm not arguing I'm not I, saying it was good I or bad a boxing
4: yet. match or a uh, train derailment is exciting I thought. yes but, yeah but yeah there was a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of heat whether there's any light I sort of doubt
1: that's okay so there yeah I agree there was heat now was there light well I realized that Buttigieg, uh drives me crazy that that he is a know-it-all uh, and I really don't want to hear any more from him Okay, so I guess that's not—I mean, that's light in a way. I mean, like, I had an epiphany, like, I'm done with Buttigieg. I I, I, I really. Well, no, I
4: sort of had the opposite. I kind of liked him. I thought he was so likable. I had that same feeling about Klobuchar.
1: I like—how could reciting. you like them both? They were fighting with each other. I say, I'm taking I, I, Klobuchar's I, I do, side. But,
4: but uh, uh, you know, Klobuchar began reciting to try to make up for not knowing the president of Mexico. He began reciting random facts like— how many people were in the Knesset? And uh, yes, but her
1: point, a- but her point was well taken, Jack. Her point was well taken. That little pencil neck know it alls like Buttigieg, and sorry for those of you that love them, but you can have them. Uh, little pencil neck know it alls like Buttigieg. Uh, she made, she had a slip. She didn't know the president of Mexico. Big freaking deal. Okay, her point was, yeah the number of people in the Knesset in, in the Knesset this that yes you learn these things all of you guys are better than Trump let's not try to make a point try to make a mountain out of a molehill out of nothing when Trump doesn't even know Currently, who's there? And he's been president for right. three years. So right. you're all better than Trump. Let's not go after each other for picky-yoon crap. Well, I mean, and, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so, so, I, and the, and, and, uh, so, so uh, yes, between the two of them, I thought she went. I thought he, to me, he just came across as annoying, uh, very you know, smart, but uh, on the experience side, I don't know. Bernie was the big winner, was he not? I mean, he was consistent, as always. You can listen to Bernie from five years ago, five months ago, you know he he's right. al- he always says the same thing he's always on point you know he's always angry he's righteously indignant right. uh, but but he's consistent and he's well, with authentic with one
4: exception with one exception verge uh, back in the, back four years ago he, he said that uh, the person who gets to the convention with the most delegates if there's not a majority shouldn't necessarily be the nominee and because he's likely to have the most delegates this time he sort of flip flopped on that
1: well yeah okay good point so you caught him there. Um, so – and that, that's going to be a potentially big problem at the, uh, at the convention because uh, he's – I mean, in a sense, he's the Democratic Trump. And let me explain that. In the sense that he's going to gather – he's gathering steam. It appears that he will have the plurality. If things continue, he will have the plurality but not the majority of votes. And his delegates will, will be saying – you know, anything less than the nomination, you know, you, 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 right. you, it will have been stolen from us. We, we, you owe us the nomination at this point, right? Well,
4: that's, that's, uh, that will likely happen. But, again, we always think we're going to have a contested convention, and then things don't always work out that way. Usually what happens if people start losing, especially after Super Tuesday, they, they pull the plug on their money and they're done. So some of these people standing on that stage are not going to be in this race on March 5th.
1: So who will be left standing?
4: Well, Bernie, for sure. I read a Um, story that... If he chooses to keep spending, and uh, possibly one of the others. We just, at this point, uh, before last night's debate, Warren looked pretty dead. She got less than 10% of the vote in a state that's next to hers, and Biden looked about dead, and... uh, um, whether he's having a revival or not I can't tell I I think it's very hard to envision him coming back at this point but, but all of this is the you know Now last night hard to envision. Well,
1: well, but I, I I judged Biden's performance last night I I'd, I'd give him like a B maybe even a B plus I thought that was one of his stronger performances And that
2: was the story I read is that Biden's support had been pulled from him right before the debate and directed towards Bloomberg
1: I don't know what you mean by support
2: financial support his big Bloomberg givers.
1: isn't taking financial support from anybody.
2: No, yeah, no, he takes no they, money. They all said they were going to support Bloomberg. They were not. Oh, they, gonna were gonna, support they were switching Biden. their endorsement. Yeah, right.
1: Uh, but Biden had a very strong performance. I thought last night. He did uh, no no real full pause. You know, no brain farts. Uh, he 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 seemed a little angry, but he was he was on point when he spoke. He had something to say. Uh, now what about what about Warren? I mean, she was on. I'm all on the war path. She was. Uh, she was really uh, seemed angry and just attacked the crap out of— uh, Well, she
4: certainly did, but whether that helps her or not, it seems to be helping her in fundraising. Whether it helps her or not with the voters, we simply don't know. She seemed angry and mad, and uh, whether somebody want, people want somebody like that was very accusatory toward the, uh, Bloomberg. Um, obviously, she has to. She's had a couple bad primaries, and she had a bad primary and a bad caucus, and she she needs to reestablish her footing. So I guess that was the way she oh, chose was she was, to do she it, was relentless? She, she made was herself the, especially she, likable. I doubt
1: she took the biggest bite out of out of uh, Mayor Bloomberg. I thought, right? Um, and and but that's the question. I mean, I I think she's very substantive, um, but did she come across? Uh, you know, uh, likable enough. Uh, Kobertshire, well, I thought... Well, Blanchard,
4: came... Governor Blanchard got in some trouble earlier this cycle for saying that she came across like sort of a scolding schoolmarm. And sometimes uh, that may have been, have been not a fortunate choice of words, but sometimes you sort of see that. You can sort of imagine
1: that. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, look, she's professorial. I mean, she was right. a professor. I mean, right. I, I thought I thought her clothes was strong. You know, I think she's right. relatable. Uh, I mean, I say, you know, like 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 your aunt. I mean, she reminds me of when I when I pissed off my aunt, you know, and she starts poking her finger in my chest. And I say that in a very lovable way. I I think I I mean, I like Elizabeth Warren. There's a lot to like there. Uh, I just wonder if she can. You know, again, we've got some great candidates, um, but we sort of have to get down there. And I wonder when we get down to the convention. um, I mean, I guess time will tell.
4: Right? Well, I also verge about 1.5% of people have voted. And we're going to find out. Time will tell, and it will tell pretty quickly because we've got Nevada and South Carolina. We've got, what, 14 states on November 3rd and a bunch of others, including Michigan on the 10th, and then Ohio and I think Illinois on the 17th, and then 70% will be chosen. So this race is going to look a whole lot different less than a month from now than it does now.
1: So you think that uh, Buttigieg... Ken, uh, that that kind of, uh, the, 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 his performance last night, that you you think that's going to stand him well? I'm putting you on the spot.
4: I, I think the Buttigieg overall has, has a couple advantages over these other people. I'm not saying he's going to be the nominee. I don't think he, he's likely to be. But he is young. He, he radiates sort of, you know, uh, hope for the future, optimism. He doesn't radiate anger. Uh, and... Uh, you know, that is sort of a no, well But the young people aren't somebody, with him. He's young. That.
1: He's young, but the young people are going with octogenarian, uh, soon to be, Bernie. Well, they, they are. They, are they, they seem to be for now, but
4: it's very odd. One thing very odd about this cycle is, with the exception of Klobuchar, All these people are, I mean, you know, Buttigieg is younger than anybody ever, running who who has been a nominee, and uh, the rest of them are older. I mean, I remember as a child, Eisenhower, at Kennedy's inaugural, all bundled up and looking like a very old man. He was 70. He was younger than Warren or Bloomberg or or Biden or, or, uh, uh, or Bernie. All these people are 78 years old, and... You know, that, of course, it's uh, is that amazing.
1: You, it, is that is it that a testimony? It
4: makes the vice presidency look a lot more desirable.
1: Yes. And by the way, speaking of which, I want to draw your attention to Politico magazine yep. uh, and the headline uh, on their opinion on the fourth estate says uh, I'm trying to get a date on this. Uh, this was from yesterday. Jack Schaefer says the headline is why the running mate will really matter this time. It says with four leading presidential contenders in their 70s, the VP slot has never been more meaningful. So now I want to ask you, uh, assuming that one of these oldsters uh, right. gets the—I use the term loosely, of course, uh, and complimentary—assuming uh, one of these active seniors gets the top ticket and it's not Buttigieg, who do you think uh, are the likely—give me the top three uh, VP contenders.
4: If it's a man, if it's a male nominee, the top two contenders certainly are Kamala Harris and Stacey Abrams, because they—, they that. They both check two boxes as being female and African American. They're both about uh, they're both uh, much younger. They're about the right age. Stacey Abrams is forty six. Kamala Harris will be fifty six this year. And so those are the, those are the top two. Um, there are other possible dark horse women, Patty Murray of Washington, or somebody like that. If it's a woman, if it's if it, uh, Warren, for example, Edge is a possibility because he's younger, because he's from a different part of the he's a different part of the country. Um, it could be somebody like if it's if it's Warner Klobuchar, who I don't think has much of a chance. But it could be somebody like um, Sherrod Brown of Ohio. who declined. The, he's old. He's sixty-five or so, but he's not as old as the as the contenders, who you know, is from a swing state. Could be somebody like that.
1: All right. Well, we're going to have to let that be the last word. Uh, or oh, of I'm course, sorry. if
4: they're really thinking, it'll be Virgil Bernero. But these people aren't as bright well, as they should
1: be. Sometimes. I would give up the spot in in place for to make way for Michelle Obama. That's my dream. Well, you know, people Canada. say
4: that, and I—I I have to confess and my wife knows it. I'm in love with Michelle Obama. I think every young person should read her book. But what we do, here's this woman who's absolutely brilliant, but she doesn't want to be in politics. She's not a politician, and you know, as you know, Verge, it's a—it's a skill, it's an art, being a politician, being in government. Just because we love her to death and we know she's brilliant, doesn't mean she doesn't necessarily be a good president or vice presidential candidate.
1: Okay, but let me say this about that, and then I'll get the last word because we got to go. Uh, I think that Michelle Obama, I think it's different. I think these are unconventional times. People talk about the existential threat to democracy. I happen to believe that. And I think that Michelle and Barack Obama are two of the most patriotic people in this country. Uh,
2: and if she knows and, she will win, she will get in. Otherwise, so she will Kevin, not lose so, to Trump. Right.
1: So Kevin says she would consider it. I say this. I say that they love this country. There's no question that the Obamas love this country. They have served admirably. And she and, and she has served. I mean, she served. And she, uh, both right. as a mother, husband, and, and first lady, she has served this country and done it admirably. And she's one of the most admired women in the country, as you know, Gallup poll for the 12th year in a row. She's one of the most admired women in America, Uh, no question about it. So, I think she maybe would answer the call. I think that if the if the experts go to her, if the convention is divided, if the numbers show that she would boost that ticket and help save democracy, I like to think she would consider it. So please don't well, dash my hopes well, completely.
4: Well, me too. Well, well, uh, but she's indicated she doesn't want to do that. But you know what? I think you you may be, may, may be out into something. So vote early, vote often. We'll just have
1: to see what happens. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you again, my friend. Thanks Thank so much. You, sir. You Jack Lessenberry, uh, veteran newsman and uh, author of a wonderful book about uh, the Attorney General, uh, Frank Kelly, the longest-serving Attorney General. Uh, so we wish him the best. Uh, we are going to... Go to uh, Blue Cross, break and, and our friends at Blue Cross, you know, it's always good to have things in your life that you can count on, like having the peace of mind that comes with health care coverage from Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan and Blue Care Network. Peace of mind knowing that you can count on the access to the best care and that you'll have the technology like Blue Cross's mobile app and Blue Cross online visits with board certified doctors to make your health care work for you around the clock anywhere you travel. My friends at Blue Cross have been serving the people of Michigan for over 80 years. That's over 80 years of community involvement, making Michigan a healthier place for all of us. And over 80 years of expertise, working with doctors and hospitals to improve care, making it work better for patients. Access to care everywhere. The latest technology to make health care work for you. And over 80 years of experience and strength to stand behind you. These are the things that we all can count on from Blue Cross. To learn more, visit mibluesperspectives.com.
2: What's up, it's Jimmy King, and you are watching NRM Streamcast.
0: Is it possible that every person in Michigan, in every zip code, can have access to the most preferred health insurance? Can a company that is always bringing leading edge ideas Alexa, open my blue. also bring the good old fashioned roll up your sleeves work we need to lift up our communities? Are we able to take 80 years of knowledge and experience and apply it every day to help everyone in Michigan? Count on it. Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. Confidence comes with every card.
5: Mario uh, fue pintor más de 30 años. Cuando Mario me dijo que tenía problemas en el trabajo, que se le estaban olvidando las cosas, fue difícil. Yo le dije a la gente que le
3: diga a su familia lo que está pasando con él, que quiero que me apoyen, que me entiendan y que me quieran.
2: Hey there, we're uh, Joe and Sarah joe and sarah from pop bad culture
4: yes Mm. and you can catch our show on wednesdays Mm. at noon where we talk about the latest in tv Mm. and movies Mm. and fashion and food Uh,
2: florida's fun too every now and then yeah
4: florida and ohio are always good for Mm. weird news stories so we'll get to that too and his fun game is strong so wednesdays at noon catch us
1: and we are back on the verge show uh, and we are about to be joined by Christine Paul Pelosi, an American political strategist of the Democratic uh, variety, would you believe, with the last name Pelosi, uh, she is uh, author of the campaign boot camp, a successful guide, a guide to successful campaigning, and the daughter of Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, um, has been helping people learn campaign tactics for years. And we're going to be talking about uh, what might happen at the convention, and a little bit about what happened last night. It was quite uh, quite a thing, Kevin. Uh, There was never a dull moment in that in that debate. Um, Some people say that the winner of the debate was Donald Trump, because uh, of course any time, and and this is said any time you have an active primary. um, That I'm sure Donald Trump was watching. uh, Maybe had some popcorn. And uh, you know, enjoying the. He was
2: doing a rally, actually. Oh, he was doing a rally. Yeah, in so Arizona. He,
1: so he caught up later. I haven't heard any clips yet from the rally.
2: Well, it's there are plenty out there, <laughs> but I I think that the only way Donald Trump won was that they didn't address him enough. They were too busy in fighting, and I think that's a negative for the Democrats to uh, focus on a guy in the case of Bloomberg, who isn't even on the ballot and. And the state that they're battling over right now, and um,
1: and some people say that was you know maybe a mistake on the campaign's part that uh, you know why go and, and and risk the exposure. Yeah, well he got was, the
2: worst back, you know, the worst out of the way now, and it won't matter to him because he's not looking for votes. No, that's yet. one.
1: That's one way of looking at it. That he got his. Uh, so he got his sea legs. Uh, but they got, really
2: should have been going after Bernie that's who they really should have been going after nobody
1: laid a glove on Bernie, did no, they i mean they uh, didn't. i remember biden saying one thing about his uh,
2: bloomberg tried um bloomberg so, tried so uh you know uh, uh, basically by saying you know you're a socialist with three houses oh yeah that's true that's true yeah really that that, that audience
1: that audience wasn't buying it i don't know about the ones at home uh yeah, that's kind of an interesting, uh, interesting dynamic. Uh, I'm told our guest is on the line. Uh, Christine uh, Pelosi, are you there?
5: Yes, I'm here. How are you?
1: I am well, and welcome to the Verge Show. Thank you so much for being with us.
5: My pleasure.
1: So you are a veteran uh, uh, political expert. Uh, growing up, as you said, uh, your first campaigning was was done uh, in a baby stroller. Uh, uh alongside uh, your mother i presume um yeah and it reminds me of my own daughter uh you know she i had one of those uh sort of papoose things that would uh, ride on my shoulder and uh and when she was like one year old i was campaigning uh in fact she might have been just several months old and i was in parades and she was there and now now she's an attorney and who knows maybe she'll she'll be in politics one day uh but
5: uh well you never you definitely get it through osmosis, and you certainly learn how to engage people. And um, it can be, I think, I think it's good for everybody to be involved in some sort of civics, whether it's walking precincts or doing uh, March of Dimes or charity or, or, or something faith-based, but just getting out into the community and being a part of something bigger than yourself
1: Absolutely, I think
5: is, is something what service is all about.
1: And and you know both my daughters, even though neither of them have run for office yet, and they're they're you know thirty or, or so, um, but they are very politically active. They're very tuned in. They they never miss an election, uh, and of course you know I mean that's what it's about. They they they're not quiet. They take a stand, um, as you certainly do and you're, I understand you're a former prosecutor. Uh, you are very much, uh, in the swing of the, you know, involved in the body politic, uh, of our nation. Um, you know, I've had so many people, I, I, wonder so many people are, are fearful right now, uh, Christine. And I wanted to start, you know, with that, um, you, you're out in California. Uh, some people think of California as sort of its own, its own, uh, nation. Um, but you're not, uh, you know, you're not, uh, uh isolated from the decisions, the things that go on in Washington, any more than any of us are. Uh, I, I mean, have there have been examples where the president has tried to single out California, tried to punish California, uh, you know, and calling out your governor by name and so on, uh, not to mention your mother. Uh, um, but but what about, you know, what do you say to people who uh, are, are beyond cynical, but but are fearful of uh, for, for where we're headed?
5: Well, I think a couple of things. One, you know, as the ancient Greeks said, um, you must take an interest in politics because politics takes an interest in you. Amen. I remember going to New Hampshire uh, to an Institute of Politics event in 2015 um, when my second campaign boot camp book had come out, and I was, I was talking to a bunch of people about being engaged in um, early, early stages of the 2016 presidential, and a student actually raised their hand and said, well, I'm majoring in a science. Discipline. Why should scientists care about politics? And I said, well, because you could. There's one party and one movement uh, that supports science and invests in it and peer review, and then there's another who, unfortunately, is 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 um, uh, informed by the needs of very large donors who get very large return on investment for quelching science or questioning climate science. Mm -hmm. Well, since then, in the past five years, um, what have we seen um, with the administration rolling back protections um, uh, for clean air, clean water, um, opening up native and sacred public lands for exploitation um, by uh, private industry and polluters? All of those things that we see that are just so... Disheartening to people. So it is frightening, whether you're talking about science or public education or public health, um, or just, um, you know, speaking as a former prosecutor, the independence of the judiciary. All of those are critical issues. And what we can do, though, is say, let's make investments in the candidates and the causes locally who are still fighting for um, a positive role for government to play and for the Independence and strength of our institutions. That's what we can do. We can go back to something as simple as, you know, carrying our baby in a papoose or pushing her in a stroller and getting out there for our values. And if enough of us do that in 2020, we will win because that's how we won in 2018.
1: Amen. It's an absolute. It's absolutely vital that we do that. Boy, you you said a, a mouthful, and I love the quote about you should be interested in politics because politics definitely has an interest in you. Uh, it circumscribes everything that that scientist will do. Uh, the politics, because an authoritarian uh, government will get involved in everything and will ultimately try to control everything, uh, and that's uh, that's what's I think looming uh, currently. Um, so what do you make as a former prosecutor, Christine, what do you make of this, uh, all these federal prosecutors um, writing uh, the attorney general and asking him to resign and seemingly being deeply concerned about the uh, presidential overreach, uh, interference, uh, undue influence over the Justice Department? Is this something that Americans should <coughs> should be worried about?
5: Yes, very much so. And I'll say when I was a prosecutor in San Francisco and the Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault Unit, um, we had, you know, just terrible cases. I mean, so, so sad, violence perpetuated on our children and our most vulnerable. And we had to behave, even though the cases were awful, the fact patterns were just, you know, just terrible. But you have to, as a prosecutor, you have to act without passion or prejudice. It shouldn't matter to you. Um, whether the person you're prosecuting is rich or poor, powerful or not. And unfortunately for our country, um, you know, domestic violence doesn't know a zip code and isn't confined to an income level. So we actually had, um, you know, cases where you had rich, poor, middle class, everybody in between as defendants. So there were plenty of powerful people who wanted to have diversion. They wanted to have... Uh, you know, a violation of the no-drop policy. And we said, no, we're not going to do that. No matter who you are or what you do, um, you have to have equal justice. Um, We also actually had a case in San Francisco where, you know, this is now 20 years ago, but where um, someone close to the district attorney himself um, was the victim of the crime. and, And our boss, the lead prosecutor, made some comments in the paper about who he thought might be responsible and why. Well, Defense attorneys were very upset, and they called in the attorney general and said, "You can't be neutral because you have a personal interest <laughs> in the prosecution of this case." And the case was taken away from our office um, because, at that point, a firewall wouldn't do. And the attorney general's office tried the case. So, having lived through it, regardless of you know having nothing to do with Donald Trump, having nothing to do with the Republican Party, this this is about if you are a line attorney, you know, meaning like you're, you know you're you're you are you are working basic casework, and you can't um, have a have independence to follow the pre-sentencing report of the probation department or of the parole of the of the prison. If you don't have the independence to know that you're going to make a recommendation, a sentencing recommendation based on the law, then you completely lose confidence and so that is why it was so concerning for them and i would just say this and you know long ago when i was a student at georgetown university school of foreign service we had um you know we studied a lot about nation states and what makes a nation state Mm -hmm. and the three things that everybody agrees makes a nation state are defined borders ability to deliver essential services and an independent Dependent. judiciary. I
1: knew you were going to say that, and so I'm not that's even a lawyer. The piece that we're yeah. using. Yes. Okay. So the rule of law is at stake, just as Rachel Maddow says. I want to bring to your attention, while I still got you on the phone, Christine, that uh, uh, the federal judge uh, Amy Berman Jackson uh, just issued her ruling uh, minutes ago, and uh, Roger Stone has been sentenced to three years and four months in prison for impeding a congressional investigation of Russian interference in the 2016 U.S. presidential election. Uh, in a lengthy speech before imposing the penalty, uh, the judge seemed to take aim at Trump, saying Stone quote was not prosecuted. For For standing up for the president, he was prosecuted for covering up for the president. She also appeared to call out Attorney General William Barr, whose intervention to reduce career prosecutor's sentencing recommendations she called, quote, unprecedented, uh, quote, unprecedented, end quote. But she said that politics surrounding the case had not influenced her final decision. Quote, the truth still exists. The truth still matters. End quote. Jackson said. Uh, Roger Stone quote Roger Stone's insistence that it doesn't his belligerence his pride in his own lies are a threat to our most fundamental institutions to the foundations of our democracies if it goes unpunished it will not be a victory for one political party everyone loses end quote finally quote she says the dismay and disgust at the defendant's belligerence should transcend party end quote my question to you is uh, do you believe the Trump pardon is coming for Stone I absolutely believe it is. And if Trump pardons Stone, um, what do you think uh, the, the reaction should be among citizens?
5: I think that we should at that pardon the way that we looked at the uh, pardon of Joe Arpaio way back in the early days of the administration. He was the uh, he was, former he was, sheriff uh, convicted in Arizona, the former sheriff who had uh, de- awful detention centers for immigrants. He would round them up. He would make them wear pink underwear, just humiliate them all the way. I would say two things. One, in order to get a pardon, you have to admit to having committed the crime. And the irony is that Donald Trump's pardon palooza is absolutely an exercise in projection. Look at this as one long confession. He is pardoning people of doing the things that he himself is doing because he empathizes with them. The difference is that at least Arpaio, Stone, if he's pardoned, Banafort if he's pardoned, DeBartolo, Blagojevich, all of them, at least they admitted that they had done the crime. He has yet to do that. So he's trying to redefine what crime is. He is claiming that the judges are criminalizing politics, but that's just not true.
1: He's, he's he's defining he's defining. I say he's defining deviancy down, a term that I stole from Daniel Patrick Moynihan, um, and and so he's he's doing this pardon Palooza so he can distract and show, hey look, I even pardon Democrats. You know, it's not just my friends. Uh, I think he may pardon Kwame Kilpatrick here in Detroit, uh, and 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 a lot of regular folks think that 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 sentence was overkill. Um, so uh, he wants to muddy the waters and then. In the clear light of day, he will pardon Manafort, Flynn, uh, and Stone, I think. I think that's coming because I think he has to. My theory, Christine, I, I'm wondering what you think of it, uh, and, and, and i got to go soon, but uh, I think he's going to pardon them to send the message to his foot soldiers uh, that he needs in 2020 to go out and win at all costs that he's got their back and that he's his people can go out and say, look, do what has to You're 100 right. You, you think You're 100%
5: that... right. That's exactly what he's doing. He's also doing it to try to shave off... A certain amount of the black vote uh, that he thinks that he needs in order to win states like yours, Michigan, uh, states like Pennsylvania and Ohio. So you think? Do you you
1: you agree with me that it's likely that he 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 might uh, pardon (laughs) former mayor of Detroit, Kwame Kilpatrick?
5: Well, I heard that he might, and let me get some. Let me just be very, very clear. I just left a breakfast uh, with Nancy Pelosi supporters. We do a quarterly politics and eggs breakfast, and we do it at the Delancey Street Foundation, which is a residential rehab facility for people um, who have an average of ten years drug addiction and four prison terms, not years terms, oh, wow. in prison. God bless so you. I completely believe in criminal justice not reform, transformation. Mm-hmm. We should have Delancey Street everywhere. And in fact, it started by a woman, Mimi Silbert, who was doing rehab work in the prison and saw prison, tried to make prison a therapeutic community. It didn't work. So she had, we have people who are paroled to Delancey Street. I've wow. worked there as a volunteer for over 20 years. In fact, one of my students from my poetry class 20 years ago was managing the breakfast today. It was beautiful. Wow. So we know the power Fantastic. of redemption. We know the power of transformation. And we shouldn't Thank you, but we should not conflate our anger at Donald Trump for um, for haphazardly politically pardoning people with our true desire to reform the criminal justice system and transform people's lives. We should be able to do both and it's really not fair for someone who is sitting in prison for another case that was overcharged for a real a truly unfair mandatory minimum to have to still sit in prison because they're not rich, they don't they're not uh, supporting Trump or they don't um, represent a political advantage the president could get for himself. It should be equal justice for all and transformation for all.
1: Well, I, I, I have to go, but I have to tell you, Christine, uh, I've, I've met your mother and talked to her. My wife and I both have, uh, when I was mayor of Lansing. Um, I think she's phenomenal. It's obvious to me that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. The work you're doing is incredible. I hope that, I uh, hope I get a chance to meet you in person sometime. I hope you'll come back on the show. Um, and, um, just uh, keep up the great work thank you so much for sharing with us today
5: my pleasure my honor to be here
1: take care christine all the best
5: thank you Bye-bye.
1: bye bye uh, Bye. christine paul pelosi uh, daughter of Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi and obviously very much a leader in her own right there uh, in the San Francisco area doing uh, tremendous things in California. We'll have to find out next time uh, who she thinks is going to win and we'll talk a little bit more politics. Right now we have on the phone, as we promised, Amr Zar, uh, who is a spokesperson in Detroit for Bernie Sanders. He's an adjunct professor at University of Detroit Mercy School of Law. Uh, I predict that he might be doing a bit of a victory lap after last night's debate performance I thought Bernie uh, turned in a very strong performance. Ammer, are you there?
3: Yes, I am. Verge, how are you? Well,
1: good. Thank you so much for joining us on the Verge Show. Um, so, uh, what about it? Are you uh, uh, standing proud, walking proud today? How do you think your guy did?
3: Yeah. Well, before I start there, real quick, I'm a I'm a campaign surrogate, not technically a spokesperson for the okay, campaign. Sorry, but I am a surrogate. No, no problem. I'm a surrogate for the campaign, uh, and proudly so. Last night, I thought. We did very well. The senator, um, you know, kept with his strong messages of moral clarity, of who we're fighting for here, you know, the weakest among us, fighting for somebody that we don't know, really fulfilling the mantra of not me, us. And he took a little incoming fire. I thought a lot of it was misplaced, but he did very, very well. He stood up for the people who make up the movement of this campaign and i thought he entered the front runner and he definitely exited the campaign as the front runner last night and michael bloomberg looked like a total amateur i thought uh, i like thought bernie did great
1: i thought bernie did great let me ask you this uh, what what do you say, Amer, when people say to you, your friends or whoever people that you run into uh, in the Detroit area and they say, yeah, you know, I like Bernie. But but, you know, it's just he, he you know, it, it, it seems like it's too extreme or, you know, he's he's too far out on the left. Um, yeah, I like him. But but his stuff, you know, that that just could never make it. You know, we need to we need to move to the middle if we're going to beat Trump. Uh, we, we, yeah. we, we can't have somebody as extreme as that. Uh, what, 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 what you personally I mean I know there's campaign talking points and, and often they're good talking points but I I just wonder what what drew you to uh, to Bernie as opposed to someone else?
3: Well I, I think when we say we put together the most diverse coalition we mean that in terms of race, but we also mean that in terms of viewpoints and where people fall on the political spectrum. I mean, as you know, you know these these notions of left right, center, independent, conservative, liberal, they're not these like clean lanes that you can just sort of throw every voter into.
1: Right, absolutely. And,
3: and so what we see in the Bernie campaign is that he might attract people like me, uh, Arab American who lives in Dearborn, who cares about a lot of the social issues he pushes for, but for whom, you know, my community, a central issue is foreign policy. And we believe that Bernie is great on foreign policy when it comes to the Arab world. And a lot of us support him because of what he says about Palestinians, because of what he talks about pulling out of the war in Yemen, and these kinds of things. These hit us, so we, we join him for that reason. There's a lot of people who join him uh, for his stances on Medicare for All, and that actually uh, spans what we tend to think of as the political spectrum. Yes, a lot of people on what we think of as the progressive left, but lots and lots of independents, too. Bernie does better with independence than any other uh, candidate in the race. And a lot of people usually view these independents as these centrist, middle-of-the-road people. Not only that, Verge, you know, because you've been on the ground in Michigan and you know a lot of the voters in Michigan. There are t- you know, tens of thousands, maybe even more than that, of voters who in 2016, I saw them, a lot of them working-class people, mostly white but of all races, Uh, union people who in 2016 voted for Bernie in the Michigan primary and then voted for Trump in November
1: 2016. I've almost I got to say, I've almost never met. I I buy what you're saying about the independent thing, what you just said before that. But I got to tell you, personally, I've just almost never met anybody. And it's hard for me to even fathom somebody going Mm -hmm. from Bernie to Trump. I'm sure they're there, but it's hard for me to even imagine them. And I've never talked to one.
3: Well, there are, a lot, there are a lot of union people, working class people. Look, B- Bernie won Michigan by 20,000 votes in the Democratic primary, and Trump ended up winning by 10,000. There are places where Bernie beat Hillary handily uh, that Trump won. Take Wisconsin as another great example. Bernie won 71 out of 72 counties in Wisconsin against Hillary, uh, and Trump ended up winning the state by 20,000 votes. These crossover voters do exist. They, they tend to be union people who you can easily imagine a working class person who believes that the sort of corporate uh, Democratic wing of the dem, of the, the globalist wing of the Democratic Party that Hillary Clinton represented, um, that they reject that totally. They went to Trump as a sort of like, you know, just alternative to that, not because they love him and his ideology, but as an alternative to that. Um, now when they see Bernie, they can see somebody who stands up for their economic rights and means it. And they, and they did that in 2016. So Bernie is the only one who's proved that he can take voters away from Trump.
1: I you make a good point. I will say this, uh, Bernie, and I really thought this came through like, I mean, Bernie is, he's consistent and he's authentic. I will say this, that, and you know, people used to say that about Trump. Well, Trump, at least, you know, he says what's on his mind, and they they seem to like you know, kind of the rough around the edges stuff. Bernie mm-hmm. comes across a little rough around the edges, a little, but but again, mm-hmm. vintage Bernie. He's totally authentic. You never wonder mm-hmm. is did somebody tell Bernie to say that? You know, is Bernie right. trying to curry favor? He is Bernie. He's authentic, and I really believe that that means a lot. His positions on issues mean a lot. I'm not trying to downplay that, but I mm-hmm. I think that the 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 personality, the way presents himself um and and that authenticity people will forgive they will allow okay i don't agree with them on this or on that issue uh but if they agree with you on 60 70 percent and they think that you're honest and i think he reeks he just reeks of honesty you know uh and so uh, i think that's another uh, another plus um, well,
3: I think I think I think you're right. And those two things are related, where you stand on the issues and your authenticity. I mean, burnt, you know, people feel, that Bernie is authentic and that he's fighting for them. That's how people feel. By the way, a lot of people felt the same way about Trump in 2016. It just turns out that he's a big fraud. Right, exactly. People, so I got to ask you this we're sorry,
1: way. I'm sorry we're running out of time. Yeah. I got to ask you quickly. So if look, if I tell you this, if he wins the primary, I will absolutely fully for the November election, I will be working for Bernie if he wins the primary. My question to you is, uh, will you if Bernie doesn't win, will you be supporting the Democratic ticket whoever is there?
3: yeah let me answer your it's not an easy yes or no let me answer your question quickly but with this answer Bernie's movement is unique because it brings so many people even top level surrogates like 30 me 30 seconds into the no problem into the political process and into these parties that never existed before. So there are millions of people in the Bernie movement that don't feel these sort of like, instinctive allegiances to the Democratic Party so it's hard to answer a question simply like what you're asking but what we did see last night is that five out of the six people thought that the person with the most votes shouldn't get the nomination at the convention that should alarm everybody
1: all right Amber thank you so much for being with us uh, this has Thanks, been the George. this has been the Verge show thank you for being with us uh, uh, you can see this is a big issue and we'll be discussing it further I remind you between now and next Thursday, be kind to those you love and maybe even be kind to a stranger. You'll feel good and so will they. All the best. See you next Thursday on The Verge Show.
0: Is it possible to have access to the highest quality health care whenever your family needs it? Count on it. Count on Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan to give you access to the care you need with the largest network of top doctors and hospitals. Because when you find the doctor that's right for you, you should be able to choose her. Access and choice. It's healthcare coverage that works the way you want it to.
5: Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. Confidence comes with every card.